I'm even going to have a bit of water before I start too, if that's all right. Now before I start, how about we pray? Uh, Father God, watch over us. Uh, We pray that you'd use my words to draw people to yourself, to get people thinking about you. It's hot and we pray in your mercy that you would speak to us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now imagine for for a moment that uh, someone was to ask you, tell me about Jesus, what did he do, what did he say, what was important about Jesus, what did he claim? What would you say? Jesus made many claims, but tonight I just want to look at one, one of the most important, and you find it in Matthew 11, verse 28. Come to me, all you that are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. It's a startling claim, incredibly relevant. We all need rest, and that's exactly what Jesus promises. He promises to give us rest, to give you rest. And I want to explore that tonight by briefly trying to answer three questions. What do we need rest from? What is Jesus saying about himself? And how do we enjoy the rest that Jesus speaks about? What do we need rest from? I mean, the obvious answer is work. We all need rest from work. We need rest to replenish. We need rest to gain perspective on work. We all need rest, but rest is far more than a holiday. We need rest from what Tim Keller calls the work beneath the work. Madonna. Madonna, in an interview in Vogue magazine, you can look at it above, but I'll read it to you, said this about her life. My drive in life comes from a fear of being mediocre. That is always pushing me. I push past one spell of it and discover myself as a special person. But then I feel I'm still mediocre and uninteresting unless I do something. Do you know what she's talking about? This is kind of the work beneath the work. This is the work that burdens us. It's the work that makes us weary. It's this need to justify our existence, to prove ourselves to others, to get the respect we want and need from others. Every day, as it were, we're on trial. Every day we're in a courtroom. That's just the way life is. Some days you'll feel okay about yourself. You'll feel as though you're winning. You're getting a good verdict from people, but other days you'll feel incredibly burdened. People will tell you that you've let them down. Your conscience may condemn you. And then there's God. There's God's judgment. You may feel condemned by God. There may be days when you feel worthless. And what you need most of all is rest, a deep rest. So how does Jesus give you rest? Well, verse 29 in the passage that was read out. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Put simply, that's how you enjoy the rest he offers. You learn from him, you pay attention to his teaching, you devote yourself to his teaching. You commit yourself to living his way. But... Let's think about that a little more. Let's think about one thing Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount. He says something like this. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, he says, turn to him or her the other one also. And what do you think about what that means? Is it some kind of encouragement to embrace pacifism? 
You know, when someone punches you in the face or slaps you in the face, you kind of pick yourself up and say to them, is that all you've got? I'm still standing, hit me again. So I don't think that's what Jesus is saying. Back then, turning a cheek to someone, offering a cheek to someone is a symbol of relationship. If someone kisses your cheek, it's a sign of peace, relationship, warmth, embrace. If someone strikes you on the cheek, it's a way of speaking about someone attacking you, putting you down, taking you for granted, talking behind your back. So here's the question. How do you respond to people when they hurt you? Do you offer them the other cheek? See, Jesus is saying that when people hurt you, he wants you to absorb the pain. He wants you to forgive. And from my own experience, that's incredibly difficult to do. It's never easy. It's always hard work. It means that Jesus' teaching is never a holiday. It feels like hard work, not rest, particularly given what he says here about judgment, God's judgment. So look at verses 20 and 22. See, look at, look at what he says. He says, Woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the deeds of power had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, on the day of judgment, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon than for you. Judgment. You know, that day when God examines your life, that day when God audits your life, that day, says Jesus, is when you get from God what you deserve, where God repays everyone for what they've done. At this point, you may say to me, is that right? If God is love, how can he possibly judge or condemn anybody? Surely a loving God would forgive and accept everybody. But I want to ask you a question. See, how do you respond when someone hurts someone you love, a friend, a a husband, a wife, a partner? Do you simply say when someone you love has been hurt, that's the way life is? Don't worry about it. Take it on the chin. Life sucks. Get over it. When my children came home from school bullied, in tears, as a parent, what do I do? What do I say? Do I simply say, suck it up, son? That's just the path you take to being a man. I wanted justice. I wanted something to be done. Judgment, you see, flows from justice. There is no justice without judgment. Indifference is the opposite of love, not judgment. If you love someone, you judge. If you love someone, you seek justice. It is because God is love that he holds us accountable for the way we live, for the evil we do. Now, at this point, you may say, okay, Peter, I get the idea that there's no justice without judgment, but what about hell? 
How can a loving God send anybody to hell? Now, if you, if you look carefully here, verse 23, Jesus doesn't speak about hell so much as Hades, the place of the dead. The place you go to when you have died, you're alive, but you're not really human. People in Capernaum expected to be exalted to heaven, but Jesus says you'll be brought down. This he is saying is what you deserve. And there's no joy here, please note that. Only frustration. Jesus has done all he could to persuade Capernaum to respond to him. But here there's a sense of frustration. And later we read that Jesus weeps when people are indifferent to his message. Now we all journey through life and hell is one possible destination. But as C.S. Lewis points out, in the end, all that God is doing is giving people what they want. See, this is how he puts it. There are only two kinds of people. Those who say to God, thy will be done, or those to whom God in the end says, thy will be done. All that are in hell, choose it. All that are in hell, choose it. Hell, Lewis is arguing, is the great monument to human freedom. There's no avoiding Jesus' message. I think it's clear in the end. There is a day of judgment. There is a day when God will examine your life. There is a day when he will give you what you deserve. And please note this. If Jesus is only a teacher like Muhammad or Buddha, his teaching will never give you rest. His yoke will be a burden. His example will weigh you down. His standards will crush you. His demands will give you absolutely no rest. That's why you need to pay attention to what Jesus says about himself here. He's telling you that he's come to rescue you. See, three things. How does he give us rest? How does he give us rest? Now, here we come to what makes Christianity both widely attracted, attractive and widely hated. It's what Jesus says about himself. It's his exclusive claims. This is what drives people in one direction or the other. So let me draw your attention to a few things in the passage. First, Jesus claims to be equal with God. All things, he says, have been given to me by the Father. Second, he says that he alone understands the Father. No one knows the Father, he says, except the Son. There are certain things about the Father here saying that only he knows and only he can tell. He knows the Father because he has come from the Father's side and displays his Father's power, his Father's compassion. And thirdly, note that Jesus says that only he reveals the Father. No one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son he chooses to reveal him. He's the son. He can introduce us to the father because he belongs. He can teach us because he knows. If you want to know who God is, look at Jesus. That's what he's saying. Lastly, he says that because he is gentle, he can give us rest. I am gentle and humble in heart, he says, and you will find rest for your souls. Now, once you think about this, what God did was breathtaking. God the Son becomes the man Jesus Christ. He comes from heaven to earth. He is rich, but he becomes poor. 
He is strong but becomes weak. He is innocent but on the cross he is treated as a criminal. Why did he do it? Why go to all the trouble? And the answer here is to give you rest. He's the only boss who won't drive you into the ground. The only person watching your life that doesn't need you to do the right thing in order to be happy with you. Together, these things make the most astounding claims anyone has ever made. His message, you see, is not go to God. His message is come to me. Come to me and I will give you rest. This is what makes Christianity attractive on one hand and drives people away from Christ on the other. It's the exclusive nature of his claims. You can't sit in the middle. Jesus doesn't give you the option. He says, come to me and I will give you rest. That's his claim. He's claiming to set you free. Now, as I suggested earlier, every day we're on trial. That's just the way life works. Every day we're in a courtroom, and in a courtroom you have a prosecutor and a defence. Every day, everything you do provides information for either the prosecution or the defence. Some days you'll feel like you're winning the trial. Other days you'll feel like you're losing it. This is the work beneath the work. And you know what it's like because you spend some time in front of a mirror before you walk out of your house in the morning. You spend some time working out where to live. You need to live in the right suburb. This is the work beneath the work. It's the work that burdens you. It's the work that makes you weary. It's this need to justify your existence, this need to prove yourself, this need in the end to gain God's approval. It's that quote from Madonna, isn't it? We are all looking for what Madonna is looking for. We all want this kind of ultimate verdict, a verdict that frees us to be ourselves. And that's what Jesus came to give us. Take my yoke upon you, he says, and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. So let's think about what that means, yoke. A yoke is something that's placed on the shoulders of, say, a pair of horse, a pair of oxen. The two become one as a result of the yoke. They no longer go their own way. They face things together. That's why Jesus came, to yoke himself to you, to take your burdens upon himself. Let me me explain. He came to take our place, to take your place in God's courtroom. He, He came to trade places with you. He came to substitute himself for you. He lived the life that you ought to live, a perfect life, the only person ever to do so. And yet, His death is perhaps even more important. He sacrifices his life to secure a not guilty verdict for you, to bring forgiveness for you. He takes upon himself the verdict you deserve so that you can receive the verdict from God he deserves. It's what Martin Luther calls the great exchange. 
the moment you yoke yourself to Christ, an exchange takes place. The verdict you deserve is transferred to him. The verdict that he deserves is transferred to you. He receives your guilty verdict. You receive his not guilty, his innocent, his righteous verdict. The moment you believe, God says to you the same words that he once said to Jesus. You are my son, whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. You are my daughter, whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. So you need to let that sink in because it is life-changing. This verdict gives you a new life, it gives you a new identity. It's a verdict that no one can take away from you. No one can overturn. And what did you do to secure it? Absolutely nothing. Now this, let me suggest, is the difference between Christianity and every single way of living. See, in almost every other way of living, you have to earn the verdict. In every other way of living, your performance determines the verdict you receive. See, if you're a Buddhist, your performance determines what happens in the next life. If you're a Muslim, your verdict, your performance leads to the verdict you receive. If you complete the five pillars, you may receive a positive verdict. If you're a good person, your performance leads to the verdict. In every, in every way of living, what you do determines the verdict you receive from people. And that's the problem. That's the burden. But with Jesus, it's different. It is a gift. His love is a gift. There is nothing you do to earn it or deserve it. Nothing you can do in the end to lose it. It's a gift. And his love empowers you to live a new way. His love gives you a rock upon which you can stand. His love frees you to live a life of loving and giving. Now you may be exhausted by the search for truth, burdened by coming to church every week. Let me suggest that Jesus came to lift the burden off your aching back. He offers you rest. the rest you need. Stop trying to save yourself to justify your own existence. Let him save you. Rely upon him and his work, not your own. He gives you rest from the work beneath the work. This need to perform, this need to prove yourself again and again and again, this need to justify your existence the need to pay for your mistakes. Yoke yourself to him and the trial is over. Yoke yourself to him and the verdict is in. Yoke yourself to him and you are forgiven. Yoke yourself to him and you are adopted into God's family. Do you know the rest that he speaks about? Come to me, he says, all you that are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest.
So let's pray about all that. Lord Jesus, watch over us as we reflect upon your words. When the night comes, before we go to sleep, speak to our hearts. Help us to know whether or not we find our rest in you or in something else. Give us the courage we need to be honest with ourselves and to face life as it is. Help us to give up and to find our rest in you. In your name we pray.